0: This is the running down. This is the running down. This is the running down. And if you ain't know the deal, I bet you know now.
1: This man right here is your father? right there? Do
0: you have a question about that? Yes, ma'am.
1: Okay. I was wondering if uh, <laughs> if your dad really is an African American man.
0: That's a very I mean, I don't I don't know what you're
1: implying. Are you African American? Mike Wilmer.
0: I don't I don't understand the question of I did tell you that yes, that's my dad and he was unable to come in January.
1: Are your parents and are that, they white?
0: I, I re- Nothing about being white describes who I am. From a very young age, felt a I know, spiritual, visceral, just very instinctual connection with um, black is
1: beautiful. She says as a child she preferred to draw pictures of herself using a brown crayon instead of a peach one. parents tonight say that's not true. This did not happen. Oh, that really... This is a fabrication because We were very in touch with our children as they were growing up. I was a stay-at-home mom. I was in touch with the teachers at school when she went to elementary school. This just simply didn't happen.
0: Shout out ABC News for that audio. Do appreciate it. Um, Ask for forgiveness, not for permission in this case. But uh, if you didn't know, we're talking about Rachel Dolezal today. Oh, yeah, that crazy white lady. Mm-hmm. We're going to do it. And if you don't know me, uh, I am your host, CL, and I'd like to welcome y'all to the Rundown South podcast. That's right, the Rundown South, and you can get this every time it comes out, going on over to TheRundown.com, that's D-A-Rundown.com, gotta know that, and you can get this every time it comes out, slide on over to iTunes, hit that subscribe, and please rate and review. I want to know what y'all think, because I want to make this the best podcast possible. I want to have some really good conversations, hence the name change. Uh, If you have heard the podcast before, it was previously called The Rundown Sports. I felt like it was giving off the wrong impression that most of my conversations would be about sports. I want to move away from that, but I still want to uh, retain that, uh, I guess real estate that I mark my territory when it comes to sports, but it's time to expand and really get into some nitty gritty issues that you know some people might be a little afraid to touch. Uh, talking to you, Fox News, uh, but uh, right now, um, if you go to Twitter, uh, you can find the show at the Rundown South. Uh, I am at Seattle the Main Event. Uh, please send all of your feedback I uh, even sh- you can shoot me an email cl at the rundown.com uh, however you want to get it back to me uh, I definitely do appreciate any feedback uh, you can find us on stitcher radio all over the place but um, since I'm opening up the floodgates on different subject matter I wanted to talk about Rachel Dolezal now unfortunately I couldn't uh, be CNN and jump on it right when it broke uh so it is a little bit late but I still thought the conversation was worth having because it wasn't just the fact that we was cracking jokes and we are, we are totally entitled to still crack jokes but I did have some questions on how did we get here in the first place this white woman from the middle of nowhere goes to Mississippi and to Howard and comes out black on the other side um had an occasional backslide, um, in the whole perpetration. Uh, but either way, the fact that her parents just came out of nowhere out at her, uh, siblings having different opinions on her. I just thought something else is going on. Uh, where can we find some clues and really piece this thing together? Because under what circumstances is it ever better in America? to be black instead of white um and if you do find out that point in history y'all let me know so we can start working on this time machine or whatever it is we need to make so we can get to that point in history um but today i have on wisdom powell a behavioral psychologist from the university of north carolina uh, who does a lot of great work Uh, with uh, African-American behavior, and I thought she would have some really good insight. So without further ado, here's Wisdom Powell. Uh, Today, I have from the University of North Carolina, uh, Professor Wisdom Powell. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on the show.
0: Oh, and I appreciate you for coming. Now, um, your name is Wisdom. Do you feel like you've lived up to your name?
1: Um, I do now there were some you know tenuous moments during my adolescence when I'm, my parents had some questions <laughs> about it but, uh, but but right now I feel like I'm I'm living my purpose and that and that feels consistent with my name
0: that's what's up and uh, I know we they had a, a discussion on another podcast about names and somebody that came up was uh, Dennis Robbins dad and uh, his name is actually Philander Rodman, and he has 19 kids by 16 different women. Wow. So well, there is
1: power in naming. I believe that.
0: So yeah, that's, that's I'm like, man, this, that is a, that is a thing. I'm a, uh, and I, I don't know. I probably didn't consider that as much when I named my kids, but, uh, but I think I did all right.
1: <laughs> I'm sure you did.
0: Now, well, before we start talking about, uh, first adult all, adults all. Uh Why don't you uh, let my audience know a little bit about you, kind of like how you got started and uh, how you got into behavioral psychology?
1: Yeah, so I um, am a first generation everything, college graduate, um, doctoral um, recipient. And I, I like to always talk about my path as sort of being a little bit auspicious in the sense that, you know, I, I wasn't really supposed to be here a kid who grew up, you know, um in the projects and, you know, had no real sort of models for how, how this path could be undertaken, but, you know, by the grace of God and mercy and other folks, I, I ended up here. I was always interested, um, in sort of understanding um more about how the social world operates and really um a race scholar from a very early on, um, as a consequence of growing up in a family that was really rooted black activism. Mm. So I always had an interest in trying to understand why is it that some social groups are mistreated um, or treated differentially, treated preferentially than others. And so when I went to undergrad and I did my degree at John Jay College of Criminal Justice in New York um, in forensic psychology, I was always sort of trying to figure out, you know, why do people behave in certain ways that are health advantageous? And some people behave in ways that put their health at risk. That's what led me to the field of psychology. But I also think I had a sort of inclination towards wanting to be engaged in work that would empower, uplift, and heal people. And some of the first um scholars that I read, Dr. Francis Kress Welsing, for example, were psychologists who had a really particular knack at dissecting or deconstructing social phenomena. And so that got me really inspired. Um right now I um am focusing a lot of my life's work on um trying to sort of work in, in partnership with black men and boys to improve their health and, and life circumstances. And I do a lot of work around trying to figure out why is it that black men, relative to other um, individuals in our nation live shorter lives than, than other groups. And for me, a lot of that circles right back around to the social condition black men face um, as they develop, particularly experiences with racial profiling and discrimination, which are at the center of my scholarship.
0: Hmm. Now, where is exactly are you from?
1: I'm from Norfolk, Virginia. Shout out to um, the Tidewater area.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. what's up. So, we, all right. I can see how there would be an area where you would have some black activism. I uh, have been paying attention from time to time about what goes down. Now, um, I do have some theories of my own um, about mm-hmm. the black male and uh, kind of just the, you know how we end up in the positions that we do. Um, and of course me being a black male that, uh, kind of gives me a little insight. Uh, (laughs) Um, but I basically, uh, come to the conclusion that, uh, for one thing, it's the, just lack of consistency in the previous generation. And as it's going on, it's gotten a little bit worse. It's like, you know, we started off as slaves when we got here. So we started at absolutely zero that we kind of got built up. You know, you had that whole Harlem Renaissance and, you know, Black business starting to get going. And then all of a sudden crack came and then it's just been downhill from there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there are, I mean, a lot of what you're talking about resonates um, quite deep for me. I think that um, one of the things that we've not paid a lot of attention to is the, is the connection between um, our history and the generational cycles of, of disillusionment that are present in our community. I think, you know, the generation before us had a particular mission that they set out to accomplish was to establish equal rights and to have people um, be treated um, based on the content of their character, not the color of their skin. And that mission, you know, um, very importantly was taken up, but I think there was a bit of, of a, of a disconnect between that, the mission of that generation and our mission now, because the generation before us had to deal with pretty blatant forms of racism and discrimination. And so they knew the enemy, they knew what they had to confront and overcome. And now we have this sort of more blind, subconscious, um, you know, implicit forms of discrimination that wreak havoc on our psyches, that we um, can't always name and call and often, when we do, sometimes a generation before us will say, "Well, you're not dealing what we had to deal with, what we had to deal with," and so they can somehow um, not silence on purpose, but really silence the voices of, of, of our youth. And I do think that a lot of the social um, issues that you describe, the influx of crack and other drugs into our communities, have had wreaked their havoc on both black men and women. With black men. And often, you know, um, having the worst outcomes as a consequence.
0: Yeah. I know uh, I kind of just seen firsthand just from now uh, stepping into the space of being an entrepreneur. uh, You know, it's a lot of those lessons that, you know, making business relationships and things like that, you know, we don't really ever learn. Like, those are just really important life lessons that are not taught in school and are usually handed down from, you know, father, mother, whoever, to, you know, their offspring. And we don't really have that culture because the last people that we knew, they sold drugs. You know, all the people that we looked up to, you know, that, you know, looked out for us, that's what they did. And if anything, they could teach us how to do that. And I just hate that it's like that, but you know it's it's a, a never ending cycle that i wish you know we i could do more to help
1: well i think you are doing more to help i mean this program is one example of, of your um your effort to like put to center the voices of, of 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 our youth um in this broader conversation again like bringing to light some of the issues that you face and how you've overcome them i do think that you know the lessons that we learn um in the you know, the unfortunate lessons that we learn coming up in this, you know, the neighborhoods and the spaces we grew up in um, can also be translated into something more positive. I mean, I, I do think that it's unfortunate that a lot of the lessons about entrepreneurship have been gleaned from, you know, people who are corner boys um, and doing all kinds of illicit things. But they but the the other part of that is that it takes incredible, you know, um ingenuity to 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 bring that about and so if we could translate that kind of skill base you know set into something um less um uh danger producing then maybe we could have better outcomes you know i mean i i i mentor a group of young boys at a nativity school here in durham and one of the things i had them do is to think about all of the lessons they see in their everyday life or the 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 activities they see and, and to think about how those might translate into help more helpful circumstances. So learning how to, to run a business, a, a corner business, um, even if it's illegal, takes skill and, uh, and ingenuity. And so what is it about those skill sets that we can translate so that it makes sense to the, to the folks that we're trying to work with and uplift? You know, we can't, um, divorce ourselves totally from the environments that we've come up in, but we can certainly glean more positive lessons from them.
0: If anybody doesn't know what uh, Professor Powell is talking about, just look up Big Beach and watch the BMF movie, and you can see somebody <laughs> who took the drug game to an enterprise level. I mean, he probably could have competed with UPS the way his distribution network was set up. Absolutely. That was incredible. Now... <clears throat> i could probably go on about that all day probably just gonna have to get you back on on a separate day and might have a little uh i don't know might see if we can get a few people in on that conversation um but what i brought you here for uh was to talk about rachel dolezal because i'm just confused by the behavior um so before i uh start asking questions i want to just kind of go over a few things that just stuck out to me from the timeline uh Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess go ahead and follow that with the question. So uh, when I started reading what happened, I seen that, uh, you know, she came up uh, as an investigation for. uh, Well, she didn't come up for an investigation, I should say, but uh, she reported that she received some hate mail uh, around June 10th and they couldn't find anything actually being delivered to her and that seems to be the first wrinkle and then her parents came out of nowhere um this uh white woman who pretended to be black biracial uh quote unquote transracial which i don't think is actually ever a real thing um uh, in this case uh, or a real solution uh, <clears throat> and i don't know let me just go ahead and just ask you what what is your opinion or like what do you diagnose Rachel Dolezal with being?
1: Well, I just want to say that it is incredibly difficult to diagnose someone without having a clear sense of, a, of that person's developmental history. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a, as a clinical psychologist, a person comes in to see me and we spend an incredible amount of time talking about their past experiences, their relationships, their family history, their social experiences. So without that information, it's in, really impossible to diagnose her. But there are some things we can think about when we look at this particular case. The first thing I think it's important to say is that what we're really talking about here is racial identity um, and how it develops, how it is ascribed, how it's um, perceived, and how it's co-opted. And from a normative developmental perspective, like things that people go through normal normal in a normal fashion, we all um develop identity um based on our race our gender our sexual orientation, and that's a process that we all go through what what we're talking about with respect to racial is her um sort of assumption of a black racial identity, and I think that when we try to consider you know why she might have done. Taken on this identity, I think we have to go back to the the history again. Like you pointed out, the timeline of what happened. I think the problematic thing for me in all of this conversation, and we'll we can delve deeper into these topics, but I just want to say this up front: is that you know there are many ways that one can align themselves with the mission of oppressed groups. Yes. Um, there are many many ways you can. She could have been Rachel Dolzell with parents who are not black. Um, um and still came to work on behalf of black people and could have worked at the end of NAACP. The problematic thing is it's sort of um like identity theft. Like you come in and you and you and really, I mean that's what we're talking about. You put on um the caricature of a group and parade yourself to the front of the of the opportunity agenda line and, and assume a leadership role. To me that's indicative of something deeper that, again, I can't diagnose, but I could suggest that, that needs further discussion and deserves further inquiry. The other issue that's problematic is this whole, you know, claiming, how do you, how you shift from claiming that you were discriminated on the basis of being white. Um, so you claim reverse discrimination in a historically black college, and then you assume the identity of that oppressed and historically marginalized group. I don't know how you reconcile that, even in a framework um, where you tout terms such as transracial, um, which I also think is is mythic, um, just as mythic as postracial is. Um, just, it just it just doesn't compute for me, yeah. either. Um, so I think we we have to look at that more carefully and and think critically about how it is that a person can do that in a society and have people support it and back it up. There is something incredibly, um, you know, reminiscent of white privilege here, which, you know, gives people status and power and and privilege over other groups. And this, the way that privilege is operating here is that it shows up as you being able to claim reverse discrimination on one part and then being able to subsequently assume the identity of a marginalized group in a way that puts you, again, out front, at the top of, in at the head of an organization that serves Black people. Now, that mission may be, you know, pure and right and exact. I don't know her her intentions. I don't proclaim to. But you have to wonder why take that route um, if your intention is to serve Black people.
0: Right. So it, it kind of just, I like, is she trying to be an undercover agent? Is... Like, my mind just goes in so many different directions every time I think about it. And, like, the first thing that people always bring up uh is, you know, the fact that she had some black siblings when she was growing up. Now, I just watched a video not that long ago, and her little brother said that she didn't start acting like this till 2011. And she was on the interview saying that she used to draw herself with a brown crayon now it sounds like they got a little family issue there but so what kind of effect did her growing up with those black siblings have on her going forward because it doesn't seem like you know anything happened at home from what they're saying uh
1: yeah, it's hard to know again, you know, familial histories are so private. And all the only um indication we're getting or information we're getting about her family situation is coming from, you know, these sort of um uh art uh like sound bites that she's providing to the media and that her family is then providing um, also to the media. So we hear these stories about her coloring herself with a brown crayon, visualizing herself in a teepee. I mean, I I, I can't keep up with it. I think that one of the, the the things that we have to think about here is that, you know, being exposed to people who are different from you can have an effect on your racial identity development. You know, people who are immersed within, um, you know, predominantly white communities who are who are who are non-white can sometimes internalize those identities in a way that causes them to to act or behave, quote unquote, in a way that is stereotypically non um, non non-black or non um, person of color. So that can happen. So she could she could have grown up in a family where there are were black people who um who were her siblings who she felt some strong affiliation with. And that's not necessarily problematic. I I don't think that, you know, we would even be talking about this issue if she was Rachel, the the home girl that you grew up with and, you know, went to school with and high, you know, high school who hung around with all the the non-white folks and who, you know, everybody accepted as someone as a part of the group, the, the issue here again gets back to this 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 sort of appropriating black identity in a way that puts you in a position of power and to yield power and control over the lives of black people. I mean, the NAACP is a powerful organization, rooted in historical um, you know um, civil rights activity, and for you to again assume. You know, this identity and head that organization under that assumed identity, um, to me is just speaks volumes to potential levels of, of, um, self, uh, of identity issues. And I don't know what those are for her specifically, only she knows and maybe a therapist, hopefully that she's talking to knows. But I, I just think that it's, it's problematic all the way around. And I think it's also problematic that, you know, we are, um we feel guilty because we're challenging you know her on this assumption of black identity i think that what i've been hearing more in the social discourse are people saying well we should you know give her a pass she was working on behalf of black people we should feel good about that and um and and i can go on for you know a long time about why why it is that we're so quick to move to that um sort of forbearance but but the issue really is that she lied um and that she's she stole someone's identity she showed pictures of of, of black people and and, and 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 said that they were her parents i mean i think that kind of pathology um is you know warrants some deeper investigation and we and it and it certainly doesn't um give someone permission um you know to to assume you know that kind of identity without some sort of social critique. So I think the fact that we, 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 we don't feel like we can critique it is problematic.
0: Right. So you hit on a few things uh, that I wanted to bring up. And like you said, we wouldn't have minded if she was just the homegirl that was just hanging with the crew. And she had plenty of role models to look at. You know, you got Bill Clinton. You got Eminem, Justin Timberlake, Robin Thicke. They've immersed themselves in their... We don't even really look at them as being white anymore, you know. Besides Bill Clinton just being the president, he get a hood pass anywhere. So that's that right there is my a real big issue. Is like how she couldn't have have known that you know you could just be yourself and it's it's okay. We we cool with you. Um, and another thing that you brought up, you know, her going to Howard. Uh, you know she took african american studies it was is that a little bit telling about how she got here did she just study it enough to feel like well i can do it now
1: i mean the reality is that black history uh, is is our nation's history right so what's sad about it is that she we she had to take an african american Studies course to get information about black culture when it should it's American culture it should be wow. you know, centered in all of our pedagogy and so that's problematic. but I think that you know why people why people study what they study or pursue what they pursue again is an a deeply personal journey. I think that she likely, you know, I mean, I like to think because I feel really good about black culture that she went and, and learned and studied and became a fan of, you know, our plight and 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 also became enamored with um, our resilience and our capacity to overcome. And sure. Yeah, that's that's an incredibly attractive thing. To be exposed to, especially if you haven't had that kind of immersion or exposure before, and I'm not just talking about like having black friends or having black people in your family, but actually studying and understanding the history of our people and the in the plight of our existence. That to me, um, I think should be taught to everyone, and that I can imagine that is a you know again an, an incredibly attractive thing, but and all of that is is good is great. Like no one's questioning. Her course. I'm not questioning her course of study. There are many non-black people who who study African African American or Africana studies and who become prolific scholars in this domain. The, but they do that wearing their own skin, not masquerading and not shape shifting. Right? Like shape shifting oh, wow. Im- Im- implies, you know, a certain level of privilege. Like you 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 can't be a black male walking through Ferguson Missouri in shape shift and in the moment that a gun gets pulled out get to transform yourself into a white person and that's the mm. problem like you it, it it is it is a extreme extraordinary act of, of privilege to to assume the identity of another person to do so out in the open and without any expectation of retaliation or critique that to me it is like textbook privilege and so i think we have to um to think about that um and again, you know, without even having to delve deeply into the personal psyche of this of of, of Rachel, we can we can critique that without any issue because there, are, you know, you can see that, you know, even with blinders on that there, this is this is a problematic way for one to to align themselves with a marginalized community.
0: Right. So you brought up Ferguson, and she was actually part of a Ferguson protest, and. The way she explained it is she kind of went down this path a little bit after Trayvon Martin. Now, that might be true, but in a big picture thinking, we would have preferred you to been White and come out and say some of that stuff. That probably would have gave it a little bit more oomph, Uh, believe it or not. And that is unfortunate that I have to say that, but it's what it is in America. Um, Now... (sighs) She really just got to this point where we're finding out after, you know, some bronzer, some wigs uh, that her parents outed her. Um, Uh I want to ask you about that. But really, I want to know is how was she able to like fool so many people? Is it just her actions? Now, uh, my favorite ESPN host um, actually said he he referenced a picture where Um, she was standing on a rail and you could kind of see her backside. Um, and I think he said that, uh, that might've been one thing that they just kind of assumed that she was black after that. Um, and I think that might be a reason why a lot of these black men are coming out to defend her. Uh, but tell me what, so yeah, like how does she, how is she able to just pull that off so easily?
1: Well, you know, uh, to to make light of it, you know, I think that one of the uh, the comments that I saw on Twitter that I thought was really, um, you know, we all need a little bit of humor in this to keep ourselves, you know, um, sort of hopeful and, and not like slip dangerously into like anger or frustration. And so someone on Twitter said, you know, it's amazing how loyal her hairstylist was because she's known all along, right? So I think that you know we 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 one of the things the beautiful thing about Black people and I have to say this and again we're not a, a homogenous group there's a significant heterogeneity we're not all alike we don't all think alike but I'm as a collective group I have to say that forgiveness forbearance welcoming people um, acceptance is something that we pride ourselves in and I think we do because. We have such a history of being marginalized and ostracized and mistreated and uh, violently assaulted on the basis of our skin color that we open our doors and our arms to people when they show up. We wouldn't dare um, you know, sort of push someone out, not as a collective group on the basis of, you know, some identity characteristic. So I think she was able to pull it off because we, we believe what we see. And I think that she presented herself in a way that, you know, m- made it less likely that people would question it. And we, again, accept people who accept us. I think that there is a deep-seated need to be wanted and loved and respected and to have our humanity validated. And that's based on years of systematic oppression and um and and also bias. So when someone shows up and they say I love you and not only do I love you I want to work on your behalf and I believe in the plight of your your people and and they align ourselves they align themselves with us we are we we open our doors. And we saw that um, sadly, happen in Charleston. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's just a reality, and that's a deeper conversation about the the remnants of systematic oppression and what it does to people who are marginalized. Like what it what what can happen, you know, to your psyche when you have waited. It's like a, a love hunger. You waited so long for someone to show up and say that they they love and value you. That when people do, we're just so excited to see that, and so. Um, So, so please that people find us acceptable, that we, we just, we open our doors in our arms. And I think that that's, that's a beautiful thing, but it also um, has some unintended consequences.
0: It certainly does. And I'm I'm going to ask you about what happened in Charleston uh, after we finished with Rachel. Um, but man, that I'm going to have to find that tweet and I'm going to have to throw that one on, on the uh, show notes because that one is a perfect, uh, Description of somebody who's being loyal uh, when you're doing this girl hair and, you know, all along she got blonde roots, you know that she's not black. So shout out to whoever that chick is um, real ride or die. Um, now, um, like when I after I seen her, her sister, Esther, I, kinda, uh-huh. I almost felt like she kind of wanted to be hurt a little bit. And because she had the, the natural hair doing the afros and I was like, huh? I I wonder if that was something to do with it. Now, is it the fact that she got up close and personal with the, the actual black female psyche? Uh, and <clears throat> I wanna ask you that. And also uh, to piggyback on it, like kind of uh, just give me like, where does this fit? Uh, in the black female psyche, of course, you being one yourself.
1: Well, I mean, it's really impossible for you to masquerade as a black woman if you're not one. I mean, it's just, and and that's because, you know, race, even though, um, it, you know, as we, in our history, the meaning and significance of it has, has, has shifted, we do know that race um, was a tool for social categorization that was based on physical appearance and um, and assumed biology, but which really resulted in certain social access and privileges and also social marginalization of groups. So you can, as, as, and I want to talk about that first, and then I'll speak more specifically to your question. The issue here is that, you know, as we're talking about whether or not can, someone can, you know, become a Black woman just by saying it, I think that it's a ludicrous assumption because we know that what's tied to people's racial and gender identity is a history of experience. People develop identities based on experiences and social transactions. And had Rachel, you know, there and again, there is a history within our nation and within our history, um, our culture of passing. So black women, men passing as white um, and even some folks passing as Native Americans when they want to assume a certain amount of of, of um, respect and and assumed authenticity. So that's the, that idea that race is um, socially constructed is, is true. And it and I think it it also backs up this idea that Rachel can't just get to know a black woman, study African American study you know uh, history, and then certainly. Uh, you know now have garnered enough insight and information to then live the life as a black woman right because at any moment i mean the reality here is at any moment she can take off her wig she can stop darkening her 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 skin and she can slip right back into to, to you know into into a white identity and that speaks volumes to the idea that it's she can't just get close to learn more about black women and become one that's just 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 not how it works and unfortunately in a society that is driven by race related social categorization and as long as we have that history that she that that kind of fluidity is mythic
0: uh, that is very well said and i definitely agree with everything you said uh, um Trying to think how I want to say it. I just wish there was a, a little bit more insight. I just wish I could know a little bit more about the family history because mm-hmm. the fact that their parents are the ones that really just came out of nowhere and said it. And then, you know, like nobody asked them as far right. as I've known. So I'm trying to figure out are they just hurt? As a family that she would go around pretending that these these black people were her father and mother, or is it something like deeper than that,
1: yeah, I mean family and you know this for i mean you can probably speak this about our own families, families are complicated structures right with that I mean, and family dysfunction or discord um happen everywhere, like there's no family that's immune from that, so I don't know this particular source or the catalyst for this for this sort of outing of Rachel but I can say that you know you can hear it in the the statements that the family is, are, are now making um that there is some you know level of 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 discord in the family that may be about this issue of a racial identity but maybe deeper and, and I don't think we'll ever know that unless the family comes out and tells us you know what what has been happening I think it's quite interesting um, similar to the hairdresser that, you know, that the the loyalty to this um, masquerade has been kept up. I mean, you don't, I mean, there's something to be said about the fact that no one ever asked them, but it also is, speaks volumes to the loyalty they had to her for all this time that no one said anything about it. So it's, it's, it's quite um, impossible to know what the catalyst for the, for the outing at this particular moment in time might be, but we could only guess based on what we know about familial history and discord and dysfunction that there's maybe some kind of tension or or um conflict in the family that made this come forth at this time we just we just don't know and we, and we may never
0: yeah it's just one of them things i like you said you know i have family myself you know got my own kids i know we got our little issues and You know, before that, I seen how messed up my mama and all her people was. And, you know, on the other side, everybody has a little something going on in their family. So, you know, you can't be mad at them for having something going on. But it's just it's just like, how did we get here? Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, I know we've been talking about Rachel for a little while. Uh, That's really what I brought you on for. So uh, I want to wrap up things by just asking you a little bit about this Charleston situation. Um, I'm sure everybody has heard um, about man. I can't remember the guy's name, but um, basically white guy goes in the church, a historical church at that Charleston, South Carolina, uh, and says that he hates black people. You're raping our women and taking over and, you know, wearing uh, apartheid symbols, um, you know, basically saying that he just he is a racist and I do, do not like black people. And for whatever reason, um, I cannot figure out why is there so much denial that this was motivated by race, especially by conservative media. Is is that something that they're just trying to protect the privilege that they have and just not admit that's what it is?
1: Well, it's interesting that you can't remember the name of the perpetrator. And I'm glad that you didn't speak his name, because I think we need to speak the names of the victims more than the, the names of the assailant um so it's actually um i think quite appropriate that w- that we're not saying his name and i think the other issue that um that this brings to bear is you know the 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 difficulty that we have in this nation with facing the history of racial oppression and discrimination there is an incredible desire on the parts of everyone to put this this past history of racial discrimination mallets violence and lynching behind us and certainly, um, in this nation, we don't want to talk about the historical impacts of chattel slavery in this country. So there is the, the, what the conservative media is really mirroring is the American subconscious, which is to say, let's push this aside. Let's not think about this as a race related issue. This is more about all these other things. Well, and there's a, you know, we could go with that, but there are a lot of. Holes in that particular argument, based on the words and the the actual, you know, um, comments by the, by the perpetrator himself. This was a racially motivated crime. He didn't go into a school or a church full of white people and shoot them. He went into a church, a, his, a church with incredible historic significance, Mother Emanuel A.M.E. Church, and he shot and killed the people that were there who looked like you and I. So um there there this is um we have to deal with that squarely if we're going to ever do anything to ratify the 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 particular uh situation that we find ourselves in at this particular, at this time in our history. We just don't have an, any more time to waste on um looking past um as opposed to at race. We we really have to have the difficult conversations that are going to move us towards a, 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 an authentic resolution to the issue, and that resolution can only come if we're willing to say out loud that this country has a specific issue um, to deal with, and that is the history of systematic racial oppression of, of non-white groups, um, and that is real, and we have to we have to face that. Um, I, I find it really uh, hard to listen to the conservative media outlets who try to push forward another perception of this issue now again issues are complex and multi-layered so it could be also you know both and like about race and other things but it's not just about these other things and not about race
0: and i know it's like i have a little political theory on how it's just staying this way You know, because for right now, you know, with all of the police brutality that's going on and uh, a lot of this stuff really starting to get exposed. And like with these two incidents happening so close together, you know, someone it's like total polar opposites. You got someone white who wants to be black and then somebody white who cannot stand black. And I feel that the problem really relies in the money because the only time something gets changed in Washington is when there's money involved. And the best example that I always use is Comcast. Comcast has plenty of lobbyists to make sure that they are deregulated as much as possible to make sure they can charge what they want for internet service. And the way that they're doing it is just paying these people to make sure they're influencing Congress, and then come to find out after doing a little research The guy that heads the FCC used to be a lobbyist for Comcast so they can get what they want. So if there was more money in the fact that uh, black people should be treated right, we probably would have a little more progress.
1: Well, I mean, what you're really talking about, CL, is that, you know, the issues around race and discrimination are deeply connected to social, economic, educational, healthcare, and, and other kinds of, of resources. And the distribution, the inequitable distribution of those resources to certain, um, which, you know, privilege certain groups. And so the, the things that you're talking about are, are really getting to the heart of the matter. And that is that racism, is structural, and that it's deeply embedded in the fabric of our nation, and the way that we distribute, you know, policies the, on the decisions we make, on the types of uh, media images that that get, um, you know, more um, attention. All of that um, is is linked to um, issues related to race and race, um, race cate- racial categorization. And so, um, part of the, the, the challenge sometimes is because racism fuels, um, you know, unequal you know, access to economic and social resources. So we can, you know, want to shift the argument to say, well, it's about economics only. But we have to remember that, you know, the way that the system of racial discrimination evolved in this country was because the race related, um, um, that slavery was based on an, an economic um system that privileged um the the economic um mobility of whites over the economic mobility of blacks so it's 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 all linked um and I think that that's the that's why I think it's sometimes hard for us to like follow the ball the red dot right so what is it is it race is it economics is it um religious you know uh preference or issues? These are all um, not mutually exclusive.
0: That's a, that's very, very well said. And this is exactly why I call a professor to say some of these things, because you articulated some of those thoughts in a way that uh, sometimes I can have a little trouble with. So what? Uh, uh, professor Powell, yes, I feel sir? like I've been in school. <laughs> I do appreciate it. I feel like I might have a bill from North Carolina coming. <laughs> uh, because I did learn so much. Um, I do appreciate you coming on. Uh, it's a pleasure. Definitely. And uh, so before we go, uh, I want you to just tell the people the best way to get in contact with you and uh, any parting words that you might have from my audience.
1: Yeah. So I just want to say, um, you know, by way of wrapping things up, that, you know, our nation has the capacity to utilize and leverage all of the talent resources and skills that are that are located in individuals from all groups and i think that one of the things that we could do to serve our nation well or better is to is to look at the talent that we hemorrhage when we are refuse to look at the ways that systemic racism shapes or the the outcomes of groups who are disadvantaged. This is not just happening to to black folks in Charleston. It isn't just happening to folks in Ferguson. It's happening to all of us and it puts it blights our our national reputation and our capacity to compete in a global marketplace when we have these systems of oppression that are keeping and edging at people out of system, of opportunity. So, um, in terms of getting touch, in touch with me, there are lots of ways. Um, but I'll do the social media stuff first. So if you want to contact me on Twitter, you can tweet me at, at wisdomisms. That's W I Z D O M I S M S. And if you want to contact me on uh, by email, um, you can contact me at wisdom w i z d o m dot powell at u n c dot edu, and I'd be happy to you know continue this conversation, of course, offline, but also, CL, you know, anytime you want me to come back, just let me know.
0: Oh, most definitely. Uh, it's been a pleasure of mine to really get deep into a subject that I didn't have an understanding on, and uh, feel very enlightened right now. So I appreciate it so much and uh we out to peace This is the running down This is the running down